It says at the top of the sermon notes that it's Psalm 65. It is, in truth, Psalm 65. I, uh, I was pushed to it. I have never in my many decades of pastoring spoken out of Psalm 65. So you say, well, what happened? Get religion. The, uh, I was telling Dane and Bethany this morning um, how the, they're from the city, and so they, they are suspicious of rural pastors that just make it up on them in the morning of the Sunday. So there was a bit of, you know, the, the usual comedy of Evan and his Pop-Tarts and his sermon prep. Came up from the basement. They figured what I'd asked, what I'd figured out. Um, and Charlie Baker, who is, I hope, still online, didn't just come for the singing, had sent a card. Um, we have gotten a lot of condolence cards in the last uh, week. Charlie sent one, and as you know, his wife just died a couple months ago. And um, he mentioned something my father had read to him many years ago when his daughter was in the hospital um, out of Psalm 84. And here it was in this note, in a quote from Psalm 84, and it was just that great bit, better to dwell in the courts of the Lord, that bit. Well, that's, that's nice. I'm going to go look at that this morning. Maybe. So I looked at Psalm 84, meditated on it for a while, sipped my coffee. It's sort of a, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, my quality of life. It's pretty high. I sit in my library of a Sunday morning. It's warm because there's a 12-foot radiator in there. And then my wife shimmers in with a cup of coffee hands it to me. I say, thank you, dear. I put it down. And it's, I, I know for her, the vision is one. What, what could it be better? I have a husband sitting in his library with his Bible on his lap, pretending to be a Christian. The coffee is good. You've got this thought in the back of your mind that maybe this event during my week, the card that came from Charlie Baker is going to be the guide to the sermon. It wasn't. I got into Psalm 84, and it was good. I consulted the records, the annals, the histories of my preaching. I preached on it last year. All of the verses in it, leaving nothing out. I could not. You can't go back. I said, but maybe I could cheat a little bit. What if there's a verse like ones in Psalm 84 somewhere else? Looking at the cross-references, Psalm 65. Go to Psalm 65, and there it is. So, this is a cheat psalm. How to preach Psalm 84 while you're preaching out of Psalm 65. But actually, as I looked at it, spending more time, and it's amazing, some passages that you don't think are worth reading because they got no import to you at point A in your life, and you'll find you'll... Skip over them from then on, because oh, I don't need to read that because it's got nothing in it. Nothing in it. Nothing in it. And then one year, it's got a lot in it. Because you've gone through some shifts. You've gone through some changes. 
I like this psalm because, as, as you know, we've been meditating on death this week, uh, figuring out how, how do you measure what's going on in your life? How do you know if you're doing the right thing, feeling the right feels? Some things just don't change. Some things of God, he is not mortal. He is what they call an immortal. That's what makes him a god. And uh, we are made into immortals. As we talked about last week of the eternal life and the you're not going to perish. He's not going to let anything take you from his hand. I thought it was a good thing to be looking at just the jostling for those of us who are going through any sorrow or any discomfort or any crisis, whether it's emotional or physical or whatever, to remind us. Sometimes David, who, this is a psalm of David, it said there at the top, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. David himself, remember when his son died? Absalom. Absalom was a complete tool, okay? He rebelled against his father, ran his father out of town. His father's loyal followers, guys like Joab, finally got, put some motor under their wheels and took out Absalom. And David just goes to pieces because his son is dead. And his soldiers are looking at him like, what? We just went to war with this guy, and this is what we needed to do. We killed him for you, and now you're mourning him. Joab says, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. We often, sometimes, because we like ourselves a whole lot, we think that our reactions, they are normal, because I am the most normal person in the world. You're looking at me, some of you doubtfully, because you think you're the most normal person in the world. And you're not. You're just awful. I am the most normal person in the world. I'm the standard. I am every man. Guess what? None of us are. We are being called. We are being called to view the world the way God meant. God has eyes on this world. God has given something to man. And we are the odd, we're the parasites. Remember that? You say, is he ever going to get into the passage? Yes, eventually. But you shouldn't have requested so many hymns. That scene in The Matrix where Agent Smith is talking to Morpheus when he's chained up in the chair. These are the holy books of old. You know them. And he's wiping the sweat off of Morpheus's head. And he's talking about man is a parasite. A virus. I think he was right. We are the failure. We are everything wrong with the world. You say, what about diseases? That's our fault too. Decay, destruction, yeah, that's our fault. It wouldn't have died that way. Sin brought death and destruction into this world. 
We, by our actions, brought the diseases into being because we wanted it our way. We are the parasites. We gotta find our way back to God. That's why he wants to be sought. That's why he wants you to wake up in the morning going, what can I learn of my God today? Praises do thee, O God in Zion, and to thee shall vows be performed. O thou who hearest prayer, to thee shall all flesh come on account of sins. When our transgressions prevail over us, thou dost forgive them. Blessed is he whom thou dost choose and bring near to dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, thy holy temple. As we stop, choose to not be parasites anymore, choose not to be a damaging release of urge and demand and self-award that every man, what does it say in James, whence comes wars and fightings among you? Is it not your passions that wage war in your members? We're just the disease. Now, when we begin to see in the death, even the ones we love and the righteous that we love, like my sister, she's dead because of sin. No one sinned in killing her, but she, her body was going to die, just like all of your bodies are going to die, because of sin. St. Paul says that. Our bodies are dead because of sin. Our spirits are alive. But in this life, we are looking... Um, yesterday, Becky and Joey were over, and uh, I think Joey said, what have you been thinking about? Bad question to ask. So we just front-loaded a bunch of abstractions about the autonomous crisis and the autonomous miracle, subjective objectivism. It's something we're all struggling with, knowing who you are, that your perceptions at all are accurate, you need to, to, to find out if anything you know is true. You have to be on the search, the long search, your whole life. You're looking to know whether or not there are other people in this room with you, or are you just mad, and you're actually in a cell in Orofino? Are you mad? Are you crazy? Is this all illusion? Is this the matrix? Or are these people here? How do you know? Once you start looking at God's creation... our God in Zion, few things come to mind that we owe for very quickly. Praise is due to thee, and to thee shall vows be performed. Because to the degree you've encountered God, now this, is one of the, this is not the end result of the search. God's presence is the beginning of the search. Because you have to be a complete Ninth grade, I don't know. Ninth, is that enough? Ninth grade, stupid. It says, oh, they knew God. They did not honor him as God. They're without excuse. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The God is there. The God is staring you in the face in the most simple examination of the objective reality outside your eyes. And praise is due him. 
His infinite power and deity are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. And consequently, when you're dealing with a God, this is not a religion, this is, a, this is discovery of a God. And when you discover a God, you know my, I, don't, I, I know that some of you are probably Lord of the Rings fans and you know that I hate hobbits. And thankful, in my God's world, he never made hobbits, ever. Because he shares my opinions about hobbits. You ever wonder why that's that much marvelous religion or you might say supernatural was going on in the Middle Earth and nobody was making a religion? There weren't any priests. There weren't any temples. I'll let you think about that. You'll be staring at your ceiling later tonight going, what? There's something wrong with Lord of the Rings? Yes, there is. Hobbits and failure to have religion. We want you to see the God so that you will seek religion. Not because religion is important, but religion happens to a man or a woman who finds the God. The God worthy of praise. The God for whom service is an automatic. I made vows to him. I will perform them. To thee, O thou who hearest prayer, because as soon as you find the God, it's amazing how religious you can get. But it's also amazing how religious people can get who haven't found the God. Because it's like Rotary, you know, or the Elks Club. I don't know what other fraternal order you want to belong to. All Souls Christian Church. You could go to it and participate in the twice annual or four times annual church dinners or whatever benefits you get. Is there benefits to going to this church besides the cold room? Um, oh, by the way, we're, I think, at 63. Yep, 63. You might be up to normal by the time you leave. What are the benefits? Some people just want religion. They don't want to find a God. You want to find a God because you want to find what is and having found the God, you will praise him, you will serve him, you will pray to him because he is in the seat of power to affect your prayers. But it's not sinful prayers. Like a lot of other gods are out there with the idols, you know, doing, having temples and stuff. And people bring sacrifices and they pray to those idols. But the Christian knows what he's facing, because he's not facing a God as just a God. He's facing a holy God, a good God. Because the other gods, what does it say? We answer our covetousness in our gods. We pray to them to get what we want out of our gods. Some people pray to the Christian God that way, treating him as if he were some idol that could just serve them in some sort of superstitious way. <clears throat> the problem is, when you see the God, the God in Zion, you will praise, you will do what you're promising, you will pray, to these shall all flesh come on account of sins. When our transgressions prevail over us, 
Thou dost forgive them. That's what we want. You found that this goodness of God that you have found, you have become a religious man or a religious woman, and your religion includes confessing your sins because your God that you found is holy. And guess what? You weren't. We have a forgiving God. We're seeing, and this is what you, because you know, we have a family death, and some of you have had deaths in the, your families at uh, close degrees. The temptation to look at the world differently. I want you to look at the world differently, perhaps, but in a better way. Verse 4, blessed is he who doth, thou dost choose and bring near to dwell in thy courts. Now, some of you have more reformed notions, Calvinistic, determinist notions than I have. And I know you can take that verse to the bank. God bless you. Do it. Enjoy. The point is not whether or not God chooses those who choose him or he chooses those who don't. But blessed is the dwelling in his courts. The word generally has to do with happiness. State of blessedness is a state of happiness to dwell in the courts of God. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, thy holy temple. You probably had some experiences during the holidays where you were sitting in your library with your cup of coffee, your wife brought in deal, and uh, everything was right with your world. Maybe she shows up with a cigar, and it's not short filler. It's a good cigar, Connecticut wrapper. Good draw on it. And your lighter works. Uh, just all sorts of things that, that make life grand. You have those moments where it's almost too good, you don't want to speak. Your friends walk in, they see the look on your face, they shut up. They sit down. They're welcome to sit down. They shut up. The goodness of the house of God, his holy temple, this is a satisfaction. We're not just, we're not just praisers and performers of vows and prayers of prayers and confessors of sins. We're satisfied. I think, it, I don't know if it's really a word. You can check we are the satisfacted. Feel free to use it in a sentence. We are the satisfacted. We, we have seen a very good God in his very good world, even with the fall, even with the futility, even with the death because of sin. The path to the goodness is right there in front of us, and we get to find it, look upon it, answer it, have a religion that is based in God's goodness, based in his holy temple. By dread deeds. You ever pause when your words like dread? I always, Glenda's smiling because she's a Monroe. And the Monroe's battle cry was dread God. You can understand why she is the way she is. It's 
great to have a motto with the word dread in it. Um, the Grams, with the, I think it's the Grams. No, the, the guns is ot pax ot bellum. It's either peace or war. That's, that's the general attitude of Wilson's. Dread deeds, thou dost answer us with deliverance, the God of our salvation, who art the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the furthest seas. This is, there's so much in a short psalm of 13 verses. Our God We were thinking about, uh, somebody was referring to Chonky Tom as destroyer of worlds. Our God is a destroyer of worlds and a maker of worlds. He is like so many people who are chasing after the Lovecraftian elder God stuff because they want to have kind of a scary God. Yeah, our God's scary. He built it. He can destroy it. He can destroy you and he'll destroy most. But his dread deeds are there for our deliverance, for our salvation, for our hope, for everyone who art the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the furthest seas. This is not some sort of What's well, the hope of the, 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 the mystery hidden for ages that Paul talks about in Ephesians where he says the gospel to the Gentiles, the ability of the Gentile to believe the gospel and come to Christ, become one of the elect of God like the Jews had been because of faith. That was the great thing. This is this, this some semi-prophecy of that, that all the ends of the earth would be looking to God for salvation, for deliverance, for hope because of his goodness, not because this God wins. And I really don't like that kind of mix up with, with other religions where you're viewing Christianity as having to win in the, you know, the bake-off or something like that between us and the Muslims or us and some cult or us and some high church nonsense or liberalism, whatever it is. It's already won. This is our God. This is the world. This is the the benevolence in this world is all of God, and so is the dread sublimity in this world also of God and every man's salvation. Who by thy strength has established the mountains, being girded with might, who dost still the roaring of the seas. Remember that when the disciples and the Lord gets woken out of the nap in the boat? And if Master, Master, we're scared spitless. And he says, what's wrong with you guys? And, uh, and then said, peace be still. And what did they say? Who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. The same God as here, who does still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. So that those who dwell at earth's farthest bounds are afraid of thy signs. Our God, well, I think it's God, I don't know if you're a flat earther, because that's really dumb. But I encourage it. I encourage it. Free thinking and all. 
But I like the concept of the spherical earth because it tidies it up. It brings everything back, no pun intended, around. It makes it circular. I don't know if you picked up on that. So the sun goes up and the sun goes down. And nobody gets out of here. You can run as far as you want, but east is east and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. Right? I don't know how it works on a flat earth. Could they? I mean, meet? Maybe. The earth's farthest bounds, and look how it describes it there in red. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You've done that. Maybe not frequently. Maybe some of you are early risers. You'd like to get your coffee cu cup of coffee on the back patio and watch the sun come up. Or watch it go down. People stop and stare. People will phone each other with the shouts for joy of a sunset. Have you seen the sky in the west this evening? The Fukushans are always out there going nuts because they can see all of the the horizon, and they, they're all got cameras, which they should be confiscated from the Fukushans. Well, I think we have enough photographs of sunsets on the Palouse. But they're all remarkable. God has done that. Your God, the good God, is amply described as the shout for joy you see at dawn and sunset. And that is true. That is a sign all over the earth. No matter how far away you are, at the furthest bounds, they're afraid of thy signs. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning a shout for joy. Our God that we have found, what is the God you have found? That's, ask yourself that. Don't, don't, don't give me the, the, the Sunday school lessons you were given or the catechism. God help you. It's hard to see. It's easier for someone who has never seen Christ or Christianity to understand, okay, what is it you're saying about your God? We can describe it. The Christian too often has got him worked into some sort of definitional framework that they cannot see their own God for the trees, you know. They might be saying the true things, but they don't see the true things. This is the sort of God to whom praise, vows, prayers, confessions, satisfactions are found in. It's a good world that he is signaling us about, not of this world, because as I said last week, this isn't sufficient heaven for the death that is coming. My sister lived 64 years. Nice house in Altadena. Um... And that bothers people a little bit, and I mentioned this last week. She didn't have enough of the only thing we believe is heaven for her. We think this life is it. And it's understandable because in good situations, in affluent times, in powerful nations, and you're not living in a tin shack in Rio de Janeiro, you're actually living in a nice brick home in Altadena or Moscow, Idaho. God has given us these goods they are hints of his greatness, hints of his power. It goes on to describe it more. 
Now, before, before we go into that description, realize that mankind, I don't know what your view, I don't know what your view is about much at all, because you didn't have to tell me when you came here. But you got a view, you got a, probably a wrong view. Some of you have right views. Um, One of the things people differ about is how old the Earth is. I'm a big 6,000-year-old sort of guy. Some of you are older Earth. Um, and uh, that's fine, too. Whatever time frame you want to use it. I say 6,000 years. 6,000 years, the sun's been coming up and going down with shouts for joy. For 6,000 years, men have been meeting women and going, ah, and wanting to marry them. And yet, 6,000 years in, the world has patiently waited till Evan and Leslie Wilson wrote a marriage book. Because why is, it, why is it you do not understand the sunrise and the sunset? Why is it that you do not understand women? I mean, apart from the crazy. Why do we not even know what's going on? We're still, someone has a baby and we're like, oh, a miracle. 6,000 years we've been doing this. It should be really regular really normal. You should have understood it by now. But no, our world is just too amazing for us. It's past our ability to measure it. Go back and look at what we have not been paying attention to for thousands of years, and we're still kind of impressed by it. If we're looking at the right thing, the goodness and holiness of our God and how he stands in the earth, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it. The river of God is full of water. Thou providest their grain, for so thou hast prepared it. Thou waterest its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. Same thing with every year. Every year, people out there, just same old, same old. Dane's a farmer. He put seed in the ground just like somebody did in 1500 BC. Same problems, same issues, same product. At the end is harvest, and just at the same time, it's harvest for them. This is the way the world is, and it's a weird, a weird world of threat and blessing, a weird world of beauty and futility. What are you going to do with it? Who are you encountering in it? Are you seeing the right image of the world? Because remember, in the things that have been made, you are seeing the infinite power and the deity of our God. Who is he? What is he like? From what you've seen, what is he like? And you might want to think about having a religion that serves him. What's that going to be like? Does Jesus Christ seem like that God? Is he that good? Is he that kind of good? The forgiving God. That's what we ran into him with. He's, he's holy, but he forgives. Jesus Christ is the perfect emissary of that God because he gives himself that you might be forgiven. Verse 11. Thou crownest the year with thy bounty. This is an image I can't quite wrap my head around. The tracks of thy chariot drip with fatness. Okay, that, that's something I run into all the time. Fatness, you're welcome. 
all the rest of you trying to be thin, not me. I'm about the holiness of God. And I am like the, the tracks of somebody's rather large chariot has run over me. Well, you can do with that what you want. It's, a, it's still a great image that the tract of God's, like he's Apollo. You know, you got the, 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 the chariot of Apollo is the sun's track across the sky. Everybody's speaking in terms of the gods riding in chariots of air. That's how it speaks of God in Job. And, and, the, and the psalmist is saying it in such a way that God, the wheels of God's chariot riding through the earth, pressing it down and dripping with, in their world, as much fatness as you can get. The pastures of the wilderness drip. The hills gird themselves with joy. You've been on a hike. You know what you, you, know what you do? when you go on a hike because you're an American and you think God gave you the most wonderful thing in the world on this hike and that's an iPhone. Not so you would talk on it, but you actually think you can capture what you're looking at on that megapixel screen. Well, I don't know how many megapixels it is, but you can't. It is just a scribbled little image that you will never look at again because it's not good enough. It doesn't get the joy. You're staring at something, even if you're Ansel Adams, you, it doesn't get the joy. You're impressed with the artist, but it's only as far as the artist goes. But when you're standing at the thing itself, at the sunset, at the sunrise, at the hills that are girded with joy, the meadows clothe themselves with flocks the valleys deck themselves with grain. Leslie decked our house, I think, is decked the halls with boughs of holly. I believe she decked it. And there's fake, you know, plastic holly from Michael's decking it. God is decking his planet with grain and flock. You ever see the migration of the wildebeests? I think there's a lot of them. Remember the old days before we killed all the bison? There was millions of them. The earth was just clothed. You ever seen kudzu? Maybe you know what kudzu is. A pernicious plant that now covers the whole south of the United States because someone brought it in. But it's like the clothing from God. Look at that last line. The meadows, the valleys, they shout and sing together for joy. You know you like that image. It's listening to the radio because who wants to watch TV? And there were some commercials on for Cougar football or basketball or something. And they were still pretending that crowds came to their games because everyone has to pretend that happens. And why, how do they pretend? They played crowd noises in the background of the commercial. Say, yay, sounds like the people cheering. There's no people cheering these games. There are five people in the room. 
A bunch of guys running around sweating, grunting, but no noise. Remember those days when you heard crowd noise? My daughter recommends uh, going to a concert and cheering her on. Because there's a feeling you get, right? You know that the joke was funny if there wasn't an applause sign because the crowd laughs. You know that the song was great because of the applause that erupts. The, 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 pause that, uh, the applause that erupts, people leaping to their feet. We have a God for the standing ovation of his world is going on constantly. They shout and sing together for joy. Oh, we always like to have church services where you act like we're standing and shouting. You want people just to, that's one thing, memory of my sister. She, she went to a black school. Not, it was not colored black. It was filled with black. She was the one white kid in Annapolis, Maryland, back in the 60s. And uh, she consequently picked up some black culture habits. One was making noises in church, saying things like glory, whenever I'd say good things. She never said it for just anything. She would, she, you had to really make an impression. What would happen? What would we do, whiteies? What would we do? We would uh, schedule probably a committee to design the glory committee that people would be assigned and on a rotation that the three times in every sermon someone would say, glory, because we got to have decently in an order. Nobody would do it naturally. Do it naturally. Not be a, somebody else's sermon, not mine. Do you ever shout and sing together with the hills for joy? Because this is, you've you got more in common with those hills than those sunrises than anybody else, because you have that God, the God who made them, that they are praising constantly, you're recognizing. Your religion is in pursuit of that God. Your forgiveness is that you would be right with that God. Your honor of his son, Jesus Christ, is because this is what's important to you. So when now that it's important, now that it's done, now that you've confessed, now that you've bowed the knee to this God, you get to sing with the hills. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for the glory of your creation, even as fallen as it is and as futile and dying, it's still a beautiful death. Beautiful signs that we, the Gentiles, have been allowed to see finally and believe by faith. We'd ask that you would Help us see more of it, seek you more, praise you more, serve you more. Be satisfied with the goodness of knowing the God. In your son's name we pray, amen.